feel real good, all right? Most dope. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Jam-packed show for you tonight. We have a lot to get into, uh, so let's just get right to the intro. <laughs> Do I say the same thing every time? No, me? I was just laughing because I wrote the wrong word on the outline, and Charlie just fixed it for me, which was oh, nice. I, okay, I noticed that earlier, <laughs> and I was just like, maybe she means something I don't know. No, my brain just doesn't yeah, work all sometimes. Right. Uh, let's just get right into the intros. That, that voice you just heard joining us back in the United States, free from Canada. Kelly Hinkle. I have zero cares in the entire world except for Shane Gosses Bear. It's the only thing I'm worried about in this life. That's I like I was so excited about last night's game. I just thought that was a good team win, and there are a lot it of was. things I want to get like we'll get into Ghost, obviously. I just want to focus on some positives first. Yay! But we will definitely get into Shane no, Gosses Bear. And, and you know what? Like we can never be in a situation where everything is good. No, no or else it wouldn't never. be Philadelphia. No. We had that for a five-day period when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, yes. and that was it. No, yeah, absolutely. And just so everyone knows, I, I meant to write diminishing returns, and I wrote finishing returns. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if I was reading it wrong, me. and no, that's why like, I didn't want to say it, so I just kind of put it in the outline. Did you mean diminishing? I sure did. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. <laughs> and from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So here's a crazy stat that honestly blew me away because somebody tweeted this this morning. I forget who it was on my timeline, but they tweeted out this stat about November and the Flyers. And then I did some digging and it wasn't totally it was a little misleading because whoever it was basically was going by standings points uh, generated over the course of the month. And the, the, the point was that the Flyers are only trailing the Dallas Stars for most standings points in November. That said, they the played, Flyers played a lot yeah. of games, so it's not quite fair to say like they're the best, the second best team of the month. But going into tonight's game, tonight being the 26th of November, the Flyers have the seventh best points percentage in the NHL during the month of November. 69.2. Hey. Nice. It's nice. Nice point two. But leave it to the <laughs> Flyers to have like a legitimately really good points month and it still not feel like a good month. We can't ever. They, I mean, <laughs> we just can't. Well, there's there's a couple of reasons. I know I, I know the reasons, but still. One, they lost to the Senators, that which was is, bad. That's, un, yeah. that's unacceptable that was in any situation. Well, I mean, it's, two, it's, like, it's, it's even unacceptable for just, us, and we don't hate the Senators as yeah. much as you do. And, and they're terrible, uh, but I will. They're better than uh, the Red Wings. Uh, but I will like. There was just they could have a top two or three points percentage month. That's the thing is, I feel like they just left some points on the table. But I am not down on this team. I am high on this team. Uh, they. Uh, I like what I'm seeing for the most part. Um, we're going to get into some of the things that came up on post game last night. But first, listen. I'm a wrestling fan, so there's nothing I like more than fantasy booking. Armchair GMing is always fun. Uh, the expansion draft is such an interesting, unique thing. Mm. But 2021 is so far away. We have most of this season, an entire summer, and then all of next season before it happens. Charlie, I read your mailbag this week. You had a question <laughs> about it. I get at least one expansion draft question. Every post game, what is the obsession with projecting two years away? It's 
the worst thing that hockey fans do. People are really into it. It's, really into it. And like the last one was so interesting and it looks like the Flyers are going to be in a much different situation than yeah. they were for Vegas where they might be like, okay, take this guy. Well, the, That all very well could happen. There could be some wheeling and dealing. I'm just like, they could have... Like they could trade half the roster yeah. for McDavid between now and yeah. then. I don't yeah. know. I'm they're not I'm just saying crazy shit happens. That that's like, that's the big thing for me is that and why look, I write for a website that does one of these like every six months, and you know why? Because they drive a lot of subscriptions because people are really into this stuff. They are, yeah. But especially I'm not knocking you for doing it. Especially in the situation where the, the Flyers are right now. Like, if we were, I, as weird as it sounds, if the Flyers still had Ron Hextall as the GM, I would be more accepting of it because my thought process, he's not going to change the roster anyway, so yeah. we can actually speculate it. Whereas my view with Fletcher is that a lot of these guys probably aren't going to be the team on the team in two years because he just seems more willing At to change it up. At least some of them, yeah. Like, like I, I, I mean... I don't think like the core guys necessarily, and by core guys I'm talking about the the young guys that are under contract and Claude Giroux. But there's guys who are considered to be significant pieces of this roster that very well might be gone in two years, whether it's because they aren't resigned or whether it's because they're traded. Like I just don't see Fletcher as a guy who's just gonna ride it out. Even if things are going well, I don't think he's just gonna ride it out. No. So you, I'm even talking about like we we talk a lot about like oh which defenseman are they gonna you know are, are they gonna protect okay well Niskanen's contract expires in two years Braun's contract expires in one you don't think they're gonna get guys to replace them yeah and you know how you get guys to replace them you sign them to long deals that go past 2021 and now you got other questions of like okay are we gonna protect ex-free agent that we signed in the summer of 2020, or are we going to protect Phil Myers? It's hard to make that that determination when you don't even know who that ex-free agent is. Yeah, and just, there's so many variables, like, I don't know, like, Shane Gostas Bear might turn back into Eric Carlson Light, or he might be a guy that's in and out of the lineup. I don't freaking know. We're going to talk about him plenty. We have a lot to get to, but I want to get to uh, this idea of, we've, we've spent a lot of time in this early season debating, even going back to before the season, debating what we thought this team was going to be, what exactly they are. And I don't know if I meant to go into last night's postgame um, trying to make these points, but there's two things that came up that ended up repeating a couple of times. First of all, the penalty kill has been the single most consistent aspect of this team this season. Uh, last, yep. On Monday yep. night, they shut down one of the league's best power plays. Vancouver's excellent on the power play, and they shut them out in October as well. Uh, the Flyers are now operating 85.7%, third best in the NHL, tied with Dallas. Uh, Edmonton's at 86.7. San Jose's near freaking 91. That They're incredible, but who would have thunk it? It's wild, like, right? We we spend a lot of, like we spent so much time on this show berating in Le Perrier and the lineup decisions that went along with hey we need these guys in the lineup for the penalty kill and the penalty kill stunk <laughs> yeah and now God, there's hey there's good players on the penalty kill and it's legitimately awesome like Charlie in one of your most recent observation like you made the point that hey they're ranked third they were like seventh when you wrote it I think but it was you know they're around this 85% mark Mm -hmm. but you made the point like based on the advanced metrics they could very well claim to be the best in the league yes yes 
And it's it's bizarre to me. I think the reason why, and and part of this obviously was the personnel got worse. We we all know that during the mid part of this decade, the Flyers roster just wasn't just as strong as it yeah. was in the beginning of the of, of the uh, the decade. But the Flyers for years didn't just have a good penalty kill; they had a great penalty kill. Yeah, and then it just utterly fell off a cliff. And yeah, I'm sure part of that was the personnel, absolutely. But I have to believe a lot of that was the scheme and also the preparation, you know, the pregame preparation, pre-scouting, things like that just wasn't very good. And it seems like it's a lot better. And I, I was I had a conversation today with um, with Ivan Provorov about the penalty kill because uh, he's obviously been a staple on the penalty kill literally since his rookie year. And he talked a lot about the idea of um, of confidence. You're just playing a really big role in penalty killing because if you want to, if you want to be a good penalty kill, especially in this day and age, you have to pressure the other team. You have to, you can't sit back. And, and that's where I go into scheme, but most coaches do tell their players to pressure at, you know, the right situations at the right pressure points. When a guy has the puck on his backhand, when a guy is you know digging along the boards, things like that. But there's something to be said about, as individual players in the penalty kill, having the confidence to attack. Yeah. Because if you get it stuck in your head that, well, if I attack, they're just going to make a quick pass and make me look stupid. All it takes is that little quarter of a second of hesitation for you either not to do anything or for you to just be a little late. And therefore, because you were a little late, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then that player on the half boards does have the time to make that pass to make you look stupid rather than you just attacking and cutting down on time and space just that little bit quicker, which allows you to force a turnover and get it clear. And I think that's key. I think right now the penalty kill for the Flyers is playing confident. And that's where I go back to Mike Yo. Because he's the guy talking to these guys every day in meetings, and clearly he's fostered confidence in a unit that has not had confidence for years. That's and we talk about the mental aspect of this team, like so many guys struggling with confidence over the years, and even still some guys at this point right now. This turnaround so quickly, and they brought in other like I Braun as much as he might struggle at five on five at times. I'm totally cool with him on the PK. That's why he's in the lineup. Niskin and Hayes bringing these guys in from outside, so just it has been a, a huge has been a huge benefit. I've thought. What have you seen, Kelly? Yeah. So like Charlie, I think this is really a coaching thing. Obviously, the personnel has gotten better, mostly by subtraction. We no longer have the PK specialists that are terrible at hockey that we're forcing to play on the penalty kill. But also, the confidence is probably stemming from the fact that Yo is telling them to pressure. And so they're not worried about if they screw up doing that pressuring, are they going to lose ice time or something like that? That's Because it was pretty clear that they weren't being told to pressure before. They were sitting back and were very passive on the penalty, penalty kill under Hackstall. So I'm assuming that that just kind of vote of confidence and that scheme change is what's driving the success more than anything. Yeah, and to credit, uh, you know, to credit a guy who is no longer um, on the Flyers, he's still in the organization. I think Scott Gordon played a role in that because even in the second half of last year, he definitely mm-hmm. reintroduced. He reintroduced. A, you know, added pressure to the penalty kill, and it's one of those things where it just. It wasn't that noticeable because they had dug themselves such yeah. a hole. And the they were the ending. worst penalty kill ever for the first two like two months of the season. So yeah, you can finish the rest of the year at an eighty percent success clip, but when you were at sixty five percent with you know on Thanksgiving, you're not going to go that far up. 
No, like getting close to 80, considering where they were, it was like, oh, okay, that's a decent yeah, turnaround. Yeah, they got right better, there. and I do think a lot of that was because Gordon, unlike unlike LaPerriere that year. Cause the thing with the thing with LaPerriere, and this is why, number one, this is why I, I almost wonder if, if a lot of the problem was like pre-scouting and just understanding the strengths and, and weaknesses of an opposing power play, because they tried a lot of different schemes. There was there was a period in the beginning where the Flyers were very pressured in the beginning of LaPerriere's tenure as PK coach where they did pressure a lot. And then there was a period where they didn't pressure. And then there was a period where they pressured a little bit more. And then that last half season when Hack got fired, that was when they went way back to the like just sit back and try wave to protect around. every pass and wave your exactly and wave your stick. And that's when it got really bad. But it's not like they only did that. They did a bunch of things. It's just nothing worked. And that's why I kind of go back to maybe he just wasn't very good at preparing his penalty kills to face individual power plays. Because the thing with penalty killing is that it's inherently such a small sample that one mistake really can bury you. And you add in the fact that the goaltending wasn't that good and then mm-hmm. it's like, well, shit. That's uh, just to look at some numbers here. They held Vancouver's power play to one shot on four minutes last night. And then you know, they talked on the broadcast. It's going to be important. Discipline is going to be important. The Flyers have only been shorthanded 70 times. That's sixth best in the league. Uh, one of seven teams averaging under seven total penalty minutes a game. 71 minor penalties. Uh that's that's pretty good. It's not bad. They're doing that's just under three per game. They're doing the right thing. And if you put yourself on defense, you've already lost. Stay out of the box. But they do have the confidence to uh, to kill penalties when they need to. Ten total power plays against third uh, third best this season. Ten total power play goals against. Uh, five against in the mo- in thirteen November games. That's awesome. They've only allowed multiple power play goals twice this season. Uh, November first against New Jersey and when. Simmons got one, so that doesn't count. God <laughs> made that happen, not the Devils. That's just the way shit goes here. And the other 10-16 at Edmonton, McDavid and Dreisaitl accounted sure. for four of the five points awarded on those two goals, so that shit doesn't count no, either. Doesn't those count. two are a cheat code. It, yeah. like, oh, they're incredible. Yeah, you mentioned the, uh, the discipline, and that's an interesting point, because one thing that I do think, it's kind of been one of those under-the-radar strengths about the Flyers, over, even over the last few years, that like the team was just so frustrated that you didn't even really notice. Um, but one thing that they've, oh, they've had going for them for a while is that their highest-minute defensemen don't take a lot of penalties and it's and like the, the only guy who really did was Gudis and now mm-hmm. he's gone and he was never a super high minute defenseman like Ivan Provorov doesn't take many penalties Shane Gossesbear doesn't take many penalties Travis Sanheim doesn't take many penalties these are guys and that's the defense is the position where you take minors because you're defending and the Flyers always have had that benefit that their defense seems to do a pretty good job of what even even for all of his faults the one thing that Andrew McDonald was good at was not taking many penalties. Yeah, I mean he got he got burned. Yeah, when the guy, <laughs> you can't hook a guy if he's ten feet away from you. <laughs> but I, I always remember looking at uh, like all the win, wins above replacement stats that have been created over the years, and the one part of the stat that McDonald always graded out well in was penalty differential because he didn't take any penalties. Yes, he draws two in a season. Like oh, pretty good, fifty yeah, percent. He, he like, wasn't in the box very yeah. often, which like good for him. He just yeah. wasn't good at anything and else. I'll, I'll take it a step further, not just the defense. Sean Couturier. Yeah, that helps. Considering the role he's in, the position he plays, and the guys he's battling, he's never in the box. It's remarkable. Yeah, that little run at the beginning of this year where he was taking too many penalties, and now he's stopped. Yeah, that's. there was a point. I had it in an outline once, and I don't even remember if we got to it in the show, but it was like he's halfway to last season's 
yeah. uh, penalty minute total. Yeah. Like, and I was just looking at his his game log, and he had one game with two penalties this year. I was like, wow, that's a that's a lot for him. But I just think they've done a great job. They really uh, have. It's uh, been it's been fun. It's been fun to watch them turn what has been a weakness for so long into really what appears to be a strength. And yeah, I, I've had a blast watching them. And something that I was a little surprised by, because we've talked, they've increased the pressure, the personnel's better. Uh, some of the guys that were here are just, you know, maturing and developing into better players than they were. But obviously we all recognize that the goaltending has been better. Mm-hmm. Shorthanded though. Eh. Not great, and I really like again. They haven't taken many penalties, and they're really limiting other teams' shots. So the save percentages might be a little skewed based on that. But Carter Hart's save percentage on the PK is seven ninety three. That's bottom five among goalies who've played at least five games. Elliott's is eight ninety seven. That's sixteenth in the league. That's so pretty, average. That, that's pretty good, it's, right? It's it's decent. It's sixteenth. It's at, you know sixteenth in the league. There's 31 teams, so he's, you know, average. Um, it's not like goaltending is carrying this thing. That's interesting. And I expect, considering the goalies are playing better than they were last month, this will only get better. The penalty kill doesn't look like it's going to take a big hit anytime soon. Like, I don't think this is just luck. So here's a wild stat for you. I was just looking up numbers at uh, EvolvingHockey.com. Highly recommend it if you're looking for a stat site. So the Flyers, uh, per 60 minutes of play at 5-on-4, have average, have allowed an average of 31.51 shots on goal per 60 minutes. Now, to put that in perspective, this is at 4-on-5. To put that into perspective... That's like a good 5-on-5. 31.51 would rank, in terms of shot, shots on goal allowed, would rank 26th in the NHL at 5-on-5, which means that they are allowing fewer shots on goal per minute or per 60 minutes than 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th NHL teams are allowing at even strength. That's pretty 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 awesome. And one of those teams is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Ah. <laughs> That's it. awesome. Weren't they supposed to be working on defense this year? Wasn't you, that their big plan? Was yeah. like, we need to be better at defense. It's how we're not going to get swept in the first round. Yeah, no. When I have that kind of electric offense, I think, you know what I should do? Limit them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're too good to win and, in the playoffs. Yeah, don't you no, know? That's, they yeah, have, too, can't much, have too, much talent. too many good players. Yep. means you can't win. Nope. Uh, it's not that hockey is dictated by randomness. Um, <laughs> the the second point that I kept like coming back to on postgame last night, and it stems from the first one, they're, they're related. We, we we talked in the offseason, and I said, I don't know how exciting this team is going to be, but I think they're going to win games uh, kind of slogging through them based on how they're built down the middle with Couturier, Hayes, we thought Patrick at one point, Lawton, obviously, uh, the way this team was going to be built. And then we see the first month of the season, they're coming out scoring goals. This four-check is awesome. And then we get to November, and the goals kind of dry up. But as Charlie pointed out at the top of the show, Seventh best points percentage in the month, even with the points they've left on the board, I think. Um, This team has an identity, and it is elite defense. Uh, They've had their lapses, absolutely. But when I ask myself, what is this team? They are limiting everybody in basically every aspect. 2.79 team goals against eighth best in the NHL. Of course, they're 3-4-1 last year. That was third worst. And this month, through 13 games, 2.31. That's a 1.1 goals. What was AV's uh, what was AV's goal to lower our goals against by one? He's done that at least for the second month of the season. Is this like is this sustainable? Do you think this is what this team's identity is? We're, listen, they they need to create more chances, I think, but yeah. 
when you're limiting teams to like two goals in regulation, decent. I mean, we're just making jokes about how elite offenses can't win playoff series. I mean, it it does kind of seem like the teams that win long term are built on elite defense. So if this is what we're seeing, I'm certainly not upset about it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I have my issues with that philosophy. I, I kind of wonder if it's partially because most teams build their teams around defense. Yeah, that's fair. You know, and there aren't as many teams that try to just outscore other teams. But I Especially agree- after last year's playoffs when <laughs> all the high-scoring teams got their asses kicked. Also hockey. That was such a bad like confirmation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, man, did Calgary and Tampa really? like? How's that good? As much as we like upsets because it's fun. Like, God damn it. No. <laughs> Let <laughs> but- the good teams win. <laughs> Now, is it sustainable? It's an interesting question. Like, I don't, th- those ridiculous numbers I was saying about the penalty kill, I don't think the Flyers are, I don't think any team's capable of holding teams, you know, to to less shots on goal yeah. than you're allowing at 5-on-5, than some teams are allowing at 5-on-5. That said, and I think this is an important point to make, Chuck Fletcher, basically from the start of his tenure, at least since last April when he had those exit interviews, he has made it very, very clear that his top priority was cutting down on the goals against. And that, I think, dictated a lot of the decisions he made in the offseason from the hiring of, of Lane Vigneault all the way through to almost all of the acquisitions he made. Kevin Hayes meant to, you know, de- defensively sound center to give them give them depth down the middle. Niskanen and Braun, veterans who can, you know, clean things up on the penalty kill and at five on five and provide stability to, the, to a young defense core. Like, this is coming from the top that you like, look, everyone, not just talking about the new guys. I'm talking to everybody. Like your job is to make sure we don't give up goals like crazy. Like we did last yeah. year. And when that's being, you know, smashed in your head in every meeting, you know, every time you talk to the GM, every time we talk to the coach, every video session. Yeah. It, I'm sure it, uh, I'm sure it does play a role in what you're thinking to do on the ice. Now, the interesting question is whether it's, playing a role in deflating their offense too that's an interesting question to me because i do believe that the uh the emphasis on dumb chase in the early going i think partially is meant to you know let's avoid the back-breaking neutral zone turnovers make them go 200 feet exactly exactly so i think there's an element of strategy that's playing into this and it's because the flyers don't basically it's like a never again thing with regards to the disaster that happened last year with goal prevention but it's certainly not a bad thing that they're not giving up many shots or chances or goals. Now you just need to find that balance where you're also still scoring. Yeah, goals. we need to do some of that. And that's like when I like team defense, uh, I, team defense to me is more than 50 percent on the offensive side of the red line. Like uh, the way they're defending, because we've seen that like in their own zone, I think they're cleaning it up, but it's still yeah, I always say if you're on defense, you've already lost. It's only a matter of time before the other team gets chances. You're only allowed to do so much. You're not allowed to hold. You're not allowed to hook. So the the forecheck, I just banged the table and that made the mic pop up. <laughs> uh, like the forecheck, as we've seen it go up and down, there have been games where they just haven't been able to get there and teams have had easy breakouts. But for the most part, that's that first wave that gets in, puts the pressure on, whether uh, you know it's on the penalty kill, how they're pressuring in their own zone or how they're pressuring in the neutral zone at five on five or they're pressuring on the four check. It all seems to get back to, we're going to play defense. That's going to create our offense. They still need to create more high danger chances, but I think they're on the right track. I hope so. I, I, I think 
I'd like to think they are. I, I was intrigued by what I saw in the in the Vancouver game because I do think I think part as I as I hinted at a few minutes ago, I think part of the problem is this heavy emphasis on Dumba Chase because combined with the fact that the power play still isn't as good as we would ideally want it to be. But one thing I've noticed over the years is that teams that do heavily employ the dump and chase tend not to score as much as they maybe should based on the shots. Classic example being those Kings teams. Yeah. Like those Kings teams are great. They won titles, but they were always huge by Corsi. Like they were, and I'm just, I'm not just talking about differential. I'm talking about total shots they generated, but I think because they were dumping and chasing so much and a lot of those shots were coming on the cycle rather than the transition game and on rushes that the shots weren't as dangerous as maybe they appeared to be considering the volume and even the location, because you know, a shot, a shot from the the right face off circle on a two on one is a lot more dangerous than a shot from the same spot on the cycle because yeah. a goalie's more apt to be set for it and whatnot. Whereas on a two on one, same location, way more dangerous because you got speed and you got motion, you got the threat of a pass and things like that. So I do think that that's, played a role in deflating their offense. However, against Vancouver, it was interesting because in the first period, the Flyers went, I wrote about this in my my observations, my 10 things on the game. In the first period, the Flyers were heavy, heavy dump and chase. It was like 27% controlled entry rate. And there were even a couple people on Twitter that were talking about like, Christ, they're doing it again. Second period, they were like 60% controlled. They were moving up through the ice with speed. Vancouver's defense were backing up. And I talked to Joel Farabee after after the game, and he kind of was like, look, like that's sort of the hope is that, you know, we we run them into the ground early with this dump and chase, and then they start, you know, pulling back a little bit. They want to get the jump on and try to get those, uh, you know, get those retrievals a little bit quicker so they don't get hit in the corners. And then that's when we want to hit them with the controlled game. And if that's the strategy, if the strategy is over the course of a game, you're going to hit them with more control of entries, that I think could work. Now, it hasn't necessarily how it's worked out yet this year, but if that's the end game of all this, if like the first 20 games was like, all right, let's just go heavy on the dump and chase to make sure we have this four check down and then we're going to slowly add in this like we'll transition over the course of a game to playing a more rush oriented game that to me could work i just want to see if they actually keep doing it or if this was just a one game anomaly so that's actually super interesting because kurt wrote a thing today about how the flyers in the first period have one of the worst expected goal rates yeah it was five on five um so that could actually be like a planned strategy so it's definitely not like I, I haven't gone through all the numbers yet, but I have been tracking all of the uh, the controlled entry rates of all the games this year. I don't believe that their controlled entry rate in the second and third period is has been substantially higher mm-hmm. than their one in the first period. It might be a little bit higher. I don't think it's substantial. Um, they're still over. The, like obviously, last game was something of an anomaly. They actually did move more towards a controlled entry game in the second period. I didn't track the third, um, but. It is possible, and I think this is something that Bill has brought up on his post games, is that maybe by dumping and chasing and wearing them down in the first period, it has a benefit later in games because you hmm. tire you tire teams out, you force them to play and get hit and things like that. And then in the third period, they're a little drained and you guys are still are still firing on all cylinders. So that's possible. As I said, I would love to add in that like as the game goes on, we play more of a rush area game because then I think 
then that might be where you get your offense. But I could plausibly see that being a potential explanation for what Kurt found, which is that the expected goal differential and the Corsi differential for the Flyers has gone up as the games went on. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I've always made the correlation. The four check is like the run game in football. It's not about those three yards you got in the first quarter. It's about that accumulation of hits on the defensive lineman that allowed you to break a big run in the fourth quarter. And I think it's a lot like what they're, what you're saying, what, where where they could be transitioning to that second and third period. We try to carry the puck a little more, gather those rushes. Um, I also think, and this is, this is just my personal opinion of the Flyers, something I've noticed for years, is that a lot of times at the start of games, they just can't pass. And it seems like they kind of like play themselves into being sharp. And I think that's still been a problem this year. In the first period, there are just times where they can't even complete a simple pass. And then in the second period, they figure it out. And that ties into like what I think this team's strategy, especially considering what they've been in the last few years. Yo, if we're not down one or two nothing after 20 minutes, that's really good. Like obviously that's like a really low bar. But hey, <laughs> if we're able to make these awesome comebacks like they constantly do. If we just limit those goals against and have that same effort in the second and third, we will win games. Yeah. That's that's kind of a, a pretty good strategy. And coming from where they came from, uh, I, I see that as like a, a point of emphasis that the coach might be leaning into a little bit. And I, I'm encouraged. That's I, I still think this team is a work in progress. I still think like obviously they need to get the offense going a little bit. But as they juggle the lines, as guys gain chemistry with each other. I just think that'll that'll kind of be natural. What we're going to do right now, stop for a little ad break, and then on the other side, uh, we're going to talk about the guy who's going to win the Selkie Trophy. How about that? Okay. Oh, God, yes. All right, we are. <laughs> I didn't actually set it up. All right, we are back now with uh, some more BSH radio for you, and we are going to talk about the uh, the elite number one center named Sean Couturier. The best defensive forward in that, the game uh, of hockey. That shoulder sure seems fine, huh? Seems fine. Yeah. Uh, so he's uh, last night, it really just really... Sh it, I can't remember who's doing it on Twitter, but it's basically like the Couturier revenge tour. Like every, <laughs> every center who got ranked ahead of him in that stupid nice. NHL.com list, he's, he's effing dominating. And last night, Monday night against Vancouver, Couturier once again shut down one of the game's best. Played almost 10 of his 16 minutes at 5-on-5 five five against Elias. Is it Peterson now? Because in the offseason, he decided it was pronounced I differently. I think people are still calling it's him still Pedersen, Pedersen, but, yeah. I, but I believe that he did yeah. say that it's Peterson. Well, Elias Pedersen is what I'm going to call <laughs> you. Uh, Charlie, when you write his last name, though, don't you want to go E over O? Like, come on. He needs the 30 in there. No, I, I think my big thing is I just, it's hard for me how to remember. How many doubles? It's hard for me to remember how many yeah. doubles there are. Yeah, but uh, I'll get used to it. He's, he's going to be such a great player for so long, yeah. and eventually I'll figure it out sure. and get it right. <laughs> uh, he Coots played almost 10 of his 16 minutes at 5-on-5 five five against Pedersen and Brock Besser. He posted a Corsi 4 percentage over 72 on those shifts. Is that good? This is, uh, like, Sounds listen, good. I'm not... I'm not Charlie when it comes to these stats, but that sounds pretty fucking sounds good. good. But here, there was an even better one. Let me let me get it for it's you. It's way above I, fifty. I referenced yeah. it in my uh, in my observations column, but it goes because yes, the Corsi four great. You're killing yeah. them by the the shot differential. They, I believe, and let me see if I can pull up the number. They allowed like Couturier versus Pedersen head to head. I think Pedersen had something like. 0.04 worth of expected goals That's, against uh, against Couturier, which is batshit insane. It was 0.03. That means that they literally took 
what amounted to one shot that had a 3% chance of going in the net. Seems That's um, wild. Or yeah. two shots that had a combined three. So like one was 1.5 and one mm-hmm. was 1.5. That's nuts. Pedersen is an amazing yeah. hockey player. And that line, that those, that line, it was... Uh, it's Lim- him, and Vor- oh. No, him, Besser, <laughs> and, and, uh, Pearson. and Tanner Pearson. That line, I think, together has produced something like, like a 60% expected yeah. goals for a differential this season and Couturier just took him to the cleaners let me uh, a couple of notes here about Pedersen because he is freaking awesome yeah it he's a great be, player it would be cool to have a chance to draft a guy like that in 2017 <laughs> <Shut up>. uh, <laughs> I'm never never gonna stop uh, I'd, I'd take the two defensemen over him but that's just uh anyway uh in case you're wondering what kind of year Pedersen is having for only the second time all year he was held without a point or a shot on net uh, he's freaking, he's just been awesome. Uh, he's got 10 goals and 29 points overall. This is fun to me. The Canucks are 12-9-4 this season. They're 12-2-2 two two when Pedersen scores a point, 0-7-2 when he's held scoreless. Uh, Sean Couturier went out there with the job of win us this game, yes. and he did. Yes. That yep. was, hey, if you take away Pedersen, we win. And he took away Pedersen as well as scoring his seventh goal of the season. Like, not only, because we always said, hey, man, if the offense ever comes around with Coots, he'll be a great player. Great doesn't even begin to describe what he's off to this season, and he dealt with the shoulder injury. Scoring's down a little, but I think that kind of has to just do with his his power play production more than anything. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, I was given the uh, the honor of doing three stars after the game, and I I really went back and forth on whether I was going to have Katuri or Voracek number one because Voracek was the obvious choice. He had the game winner. He you know he he's seemingly back to at least close to his old self. I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit. Um, But I went with Couturier. And what it boiled down to for me was, number one, I just thought he looked more dominant than Voracek. And that's not to say Voracek didn't look good. I thought Couturier looked better. Number two, and this might be a good way to transition, the fact of the matter is is that Voracek started playing this well again when he was put with Couturier. That's yeah. I have all these numbers. I have all this stuff that's basically like, hey, Sean Couturier needs the Selkie this year. But my point, like most importantly, he fixed Voracek. The thing is, he seems to be the guy that fixes everyone. He does. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone who is in a slump, you put them with Couturier and they instantly play better. It's yeah, remarkable. They, they've just been awesome. Uh, Jake's expected goals for with Coots. They've had about 45 minutes together this year. Uh, 67%. Without Coots, it's under 48. That, you know, yeah. again, I'm not Charlie with these numbers, but that seems like a hell of a job. So Jake had a. Uh, but credit to Jake and Lindblom as yeah. well, because they were out there with Coots against Besser and Pearson. No, and that. no they, and, uh, they played really well. Yeah, so they, they did a hell of a job. So Jake had an interesting quote, and it wasn't the uh, the fuck you attitude. That was a That was a great quote. I was saying I have that quote. But he had, a, he had another quote that to me was interesting, maybe in a way that he might not have necessarily intended, but I've noticed as well. And this is coming for someone who's a, huge, a big Jake Voracek fan. I think he's a really good player. I do think he's been declining a bit over the last few years, but I've, I've long been a Jake Voracek defender. I think it's undeniable. If you go back and you watch his games from 2013, from 2014, that he has gotten slower. That he is not as fast as he was no, four yeah. or five years ago. Yeah. He he used to be a great skater. He was I, legitimately fast. Yes, I think he is now a good skater. Mm-hmm. But he is not as fast as he was three, four, five years ago. And that's why this quote jumped out at me. And the quote was this. 
because he was asked about being on a line with Couturier and, and Limblom and how it helps him. And he said, Couturier is always in the right positions, him and Oscar. They're both really easy to read off. And I think for me, to keep a little bit of speed kind of helped me. So I don't have to stop and start all the time, which is really hard to do for an 82-game season. I think, like, one thing about skating is that so much of it is momentum. And so much of it is if you can just keep your speed, it's easier to continue to get going or to get to even reach another gear. But if you're constantly having to stop because you don't have have chemistry with your line mates because you're not sure what they're going to do and you have to arrest your momentum and then get back going again. The, the the fact that his skating isn't as good as it used to be becomes more noticeable and it makes it harder for him to be effective. But when he's playing with a guy like Couturier that kind of allows the shifts to almost be in one fluid, continuous mm-hmm. skating motion, I think the fact that he's gotten a bit slower, it's less noticeable and allows him to play to the strengths he still has, which is his vision, his playmaker, playmaking ability and things like that. And with this line, I think it allows him to... I always thought, yes, he's he's lost some skating, and it looks like he's not aging as well as I thought he was going to. But we'll see with this new with this new combination. But I always thought Jake would age well because he would eventually learn. I can't use my speed. I can play a little more like Yager, though. Because while we always, you know, go nuts over the Jake turnovers and everything, some of us more than others. Uh, like <laughs> the fact is, he's a pretty good puck handler, and he's got good vision. He's a good playmaker. He's good in the offensive zone. If you have two guys like Katoria and Limblom to get him there, I think this could be a really good combination and set Jake up to be ultimately the player he's going to be for this back half of his career. You know, like. He isn't the same guy. That's obvious. Is he, you know, banged up? Is he going to get back to some semblance of, you know, what he used to be? I don't know, but I think this combination if you can get what you're getting out of him these last two games, um it, it we will hate the Voracek contract less. Yeah. I don't know why we hate it now. Like everyone needs to calm down. He just he didn't get off to a great start. No. And and the thing is is that everyone knew it. That was that was the part of it that I, I do think some fans, I wouldn't say overlooked, because on some level they knew and they just didn't care, but this wasn't a situation of a guy not playing that well and him just saying, yeah, I know, I'm playing fine. Like, I, I don't know what you guys are seeing. Mm-hmm. Like, Voracek was fully aware that he wasn't playing that well and he was admitting to it. And now, granted, that's only step one. You then have to fix it and play sure. better. But it was reassuring to me that he wasn't, you know, in interviews kind of being like, man, I don't understand why these assholes on social media are shitting on me. I'm playing fine. I'm scoring points. They just don't know hockey. He was like, no, I'm not playing well, and I need to play better. And that at least gives me the confidence that he has a self-awareness to know that, yeah, this is not my best. And if that's not his best, it's like, okay, well, then play your best. But at least there's the motivation to play better. And that, yeah. that made me feel better about the chances of him turning it around, which it seems like he might be doing. And like I do think a lot of the criticism comes like just because Jake is playing poorly this season doesn't make you retroactively correct nope. about him not being good before. No, he was really good before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry. You're not just right now. Like. When Peter Morozik starts playing, well, I don't get to be like, oh, no, the Flyers should have kept him. Like, no, he, he did stink. <laughs> like, this is like this confirmation bias that we talk about. I just, listen, I, I, I think I'm tough but fair on Jake. I want to see him succeed, though. Like, I don't just think, oh, I want him to suck so I get to be right about not liking him. No, I'd rather the Flyers win. Yeah. And yeah. when their second highest paid player is playing well, they have a better chance of doing that than when he's not. Just got to pass to the net more. 
Yeah, and and the good thing too about <laughs> He's great at that. how about that fucking shot last Ooh, night? Great shot. That's what like so good. The fact that he can do that sometimes is what Ooh. drives me nuts about his shot <laughs> so often. I've seen him pick spots and just rip pucks past goalies, and then other times I like I tweeted out and like, oh, Jake's afraid to bruise the puck again. Like sometimes he just takes these little eh, shots, and I'm like, dude, you're an awesome hockey player. If I could do what you do with the puck, I would never do anything but shoot as hard as I can. Like. If I could do that a little bit, that's all. I would sit in my driveway and rip shots, and it just it, it frustrates me sometimes. But I really hope that this combination gets going because it also creates the opportunity for the other lines to produce and, and stick as are. And that's what I was going to say is that the great thing about like I do think there was a feeling, and I think a lot of this may have boiled down to Konechny because Konechny was off to such a good start. And it was, you know, he seemed to be turning the corner as a player. And I think there may have been a feeling that well, we can't afford to take him off Coots's line mm-hmm. yet because we want this to be his breakout. And he's clicking so well, Couturier. We can't adjust that. Like, I don't think they worry about Oscar Limblom. Oscar Limblom is going to be Oscar Limblom regardless of who he's with. He's going to be more dominant with Couturier because yeah. everyone is. He has but, the opportunity to score, especially if he's with Konechny and Couturier. Yes. But yes. he's going to play well exactly. regardless. Whereas with Konechny, I think there was a thing of, you know, okay, we're trying to ingrain him in this new system under a new coach. He's clicking. Let's keep him where he's clicking. And I think that was part of the reason why they didn't break up that line for so long. Well, now you can put Konechny with Giroux and Morgan Frost, both of whom are looking very good, and and have the luxury of using Voracek with Couturier and letting Couturier kind of help Voracek now because he doesn't have to help Konechny because now Konechny's on a second scoring line that also looks really good. Frost and G together, man. Frost, G, and TK. Oh. That's just sex. It is That's good. sex. <laughs> uh, I just, oh my God. It's so good. Putting those guys out, uh, when they, was it two nights ago, I think, or two games ago, uh, the shorty that, uh, oh, I guess God. it was three games ago. He, oh, the face-off. The, they put those guys, there's still a couple of seconds left on the PK, but, you know, Morozik ices the puck, which was awesome. Uh, my pal, Peter Morozik. And uh, they, they they have the confidence in G and Frost to go out, and G just tells him, stand right here. That's the best part of it. And he just fucking rips it. Oh, my gosh. So good. Just, so good. Just the, they're Everything well, about it. They're playing well, and it's everything's really starting to come together, and I'm excited. Uh, Bill, I, I heard that uh, Claude Giroux isn't inspiring, though. Yeah, oh, no, God. he's... He's not a good captain. Sorry, I just had to. Does not inspire his teammates, fam. It's just fun, especially now. Like Elaine Vigneault is like it's been point. Like he's called some guys, and I think you might have wrote about it, Charlie. Like he's left Giroux out of Hmm. a lot of the criticism because it's like even when he wasn't a point of game player, which he's starting to get back to being, it was like, well, yeah, he's playing out of position because we don't have someone to play that position. Yeah, and um, you notice we keep putting him with young guys because uh, he's. The captain who leads these guys yeah. and they're playing the right way with them. Like, I don't think it's a, I don't, uh, when the young players come up and immediately look really good, I don't think we, like, if we're going to blame Giroux for all the ills of this franchise, I, yeah, do, right. like, I do think we have to point out, hey, all these young players are coming up and looking like professionals right away. Maybe that has something to do with the leadership. And, and Maybe. I, I do have a hunch, and this is not with inside information or anything, but I have a hunch because one of the first call outs Vino did was for. Check and Giroux. Yeah. He called them both out. That was when there was that big controversy, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I have a hunch that after he did that, 
there might have been people in the organization that were like, Elaine, look, you're you're new here. You know, you don't you don't know these players like super well yet. You'll get there. You don't need to call out Claude Giroux. He's his own worst critic. You don't need to give him any more motivation. He's already running through every scenario in his head. And if anything, he's even being too hard on himself. And like, this isn't the right motivating tactic for him because you just don't have to do it. For Jake, maybe it is. But I think there is a feeling among people who know Claude Giroux that like, you don't, this, this isn't a guy that you need to like go to the whip to. Like he, he does it to himself. Oh, yeah, and I th- that's a really good transition, Charlie, because I want to talk about Elaine Vigneault as it pertains to Shane Gossespierre. It's been 45 mm. minutes now. We can start talking about some of the negatives. Um, uh, but I don't see this necessarily as a negative. Listen, I'm a huge Gossespierre fan. I don't make any I don't make any you know excuses about that. I- I'm just a mark for the guy. I love him. Want him on the team. Want him in the lineup. But the truth is he's just not playing well but I really like the way Vigneault is handling this now of course the scratches are you know we we killed the other coach for this but it seems a little different and I want to read you this Vigneault quote and then my reaction to it and we'll go from there so AV about Ghost said I like Ghost I like what he can bring to our team I am expecting a little more as far as offensive production but he's a good young man he works hard it's just a little reset for him we play four games in five and a half days so there's no doubt he will be in the lineup real soon now what I love about this is it's kind of the same but different from what he said about uh, JVR Voracek and Hayes and it's Vino recognizing that his players are human beings and he's handling them differently. And I just think that's a really positive sign for how he's going to deal with these situations going forward. It's not, hey, I treat everyone the same, deal with it. It's like, no, these guys are, like you just said with Drew, maybe he did need to be told that. We don't know. But maybe he did learn from that and move on and say, okay, I'm going to say this about Kevin Hayes because I know him, but I'm not going to say this about G because he is, like, we've all kind of come to realize that hard on himself. Yeah. Shane Goss bear similar. Um, Ghost, for his part, seems to be handling this pretty well. He's saying all the right things. And I like that he's kind of talking himself up. Uh, just part of his quote here from Ghost. I just have to reflect on myself and realize how good a player I am. Players like me don't grow on trees. For myself, I've just got to get back to that game. <sighs> yeah, he's just got to get back to his game. What's and up with Ghost? The thing that really... I don't know. It just bothers me that there was so much made under the old guard that wasn't letting him play that he wanted to, the way that he wanted to. And there was that quote that he gave at one point where he was like, I'm just going to go out there and play my game. I don't give a fuck. Like, essentially, like he yeah, didn't Yeah, care. I'm pretty sure that was directed directly at Gordon Murphy. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> so, so there was a time when he was being told not to play his game and he was actively fighting against it. And now I'm assuming that Elaine Vino would be very happy with him playing the ghost game. And he's just not doing it. And I really don't. It's it's very frustrating. And also, I don't I don't know. I'm concerned that it's gone three games. That, That's a I, lot. I, I'm I'm concerned as well. I there is I'm very much on the fence about this whole thing. Like I think, Bill, it seems like you're more on the like I I, I support you're more on the I support this I guess as much as one can I want him in the lineup I just trust the coach to push Fair. the right buttons yeah. and I don't think that it's I don't think Robert Haig is gonna play more games than Shane Gossespierre this year Let's if hope. he does I will have a problem with that at some point but 
the, the numbers are what they are. He was healthy scratch for Vancouver and Calgary. He's got one assist at 5-on-5 five five in 22 games. I mean, he's been objectively terrible. There's yeah, no argument. Like, yeah. He's got yeah. six total points. He's got one multi-point game. 17 out of 22 games with zero points. 18 giveaways. That's 0.82 a game. He averaged 0.67 giveaways a game over the previous two seasons. He is playing worse than he has. Yeah. Uh, That's and, and I don't the think, truth. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would argue that he's playing good hockey. Even no. I don't think even he would argue he's playing good hockey. No, he said it's, it. Yeah, it's just... When you get taken out of the yeah. lineup, it's not for no reason. I think for myself, I have to get better, work hard, and when I get back in, hopefully I can turn it around. I just... I, I do worry, and... Vino did say that, look, we have a busy schedule this week. Ghost is going to get back in. I do worry if the team keeps winning, yeah. do you get him in? And then does three games turn into six, turn into eight, turn into ten? I mean, granted, it wouldn't be the worst thing, I guess, because it would imply that the Flyers are going on this crazy run of wins, and that would be fun in its own way. But I do think it's important for the Flyers, and I mean, I'm not, I don't view the Flyers as a cup contender, but if the Flyers want to make the most possible noise this year by the end of the season, I think it's important for Shane Gossespierre to be a part of it because he is part of the best possible lineup that the Flyers can ice if you can get him back to playing at some semblance. I'm not even asking for him to be 100% of what he was in 2017. 2018. Even if you can get it back to 85% of what he was, he's still a useful player in the NHL. So I do worry that you risk losing him if this goes on too long. It just comes down to how much you trust the coach to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, yeah, I mean, like, Bill, I do trust that Vino knows what he's doing a lot more than I trusted Hacksaw. But it's not like there aren't play. Like, listen, we've no, heard, we've heard. There are we've players heard who things. don't like this guy. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And the thing that bothers me is I feel like one game scratching a guy like ghost is you're sending him a message you're playing like shit we're taking you out watch from the press box get it together two games you're playing real bad so we're sitting you out to three games is getting to be like you're actively dragging the team down we can't have you playing right now because we're not going to win games with you it just feels like the longer it goes on a i wonder just how bad the coaching staff views him either on the ice or off the ice. And then also I worry, how is he going to get out of this funk if not playing yes. hockey games? Yes, that, that's big. That is yeah. big. And and I think it's a, it's a legitimate concern um, because – you know, we we've had these dis- these debates for years with you know with the hackstall methods, and you don't get better by sitting. You know, yeah, you could you could notice things when you're up in the in the press box, but you got to play yourself out of these deals. Yeah. And I, I do think also that one of the and this is a completely fair uh, critique of this you know scratching gossip bear strategy. I think uh, I think Brad tweeted this when when the first scratching got announced, and it was basically like, look, I understand the thought process behind scratching Shane Gosper. He's not playing well. You're hoping that it turns, you know, it turns the season around. It, it clicks for him. That said, man, it would be nice to have a better seventh defenseman to replace him with than Robert Hay. Yep. Well, I that, mean, then that's a fair, that's not a Vino critique. That's no, a yeah. critique of Fletcher. But, but I also will say like most teams don't have four good defensemen. Fair. Having seven is like, I think Robert Haig is in a good role. Yeah, now my I, I issue, disagree with you. my issue with this more than anything, like now my main issue is Gostas Bear is a better player than Robert Haig. And I trust Gostas Bear with more minutes. Now, is he a good partner for Braun? Does not 
not look like it. But it looks like but Sanheim might be. Sanheim might be. But <laughs> my issue is when you have Braun and Haig in the same lineup and you're sheltering them both, that means Provorov and now Niskanen, they both played 25-plus on Monday. Yeah. Provy has to play 25 minutes a night. He has played 25-plus minutes in five straight games and is averaging 25-33 over his last 15 games. That is the fifth most since uh, October 27th. 31 shifts a game, leads the league. Does this seem like a good strategy in November? I know you want your best players out on the ice the most, but man, it's not about as much as we need to win now. I like, I, I, I don't I, play them less. Yeah, it would be nice if they could trust some of the other defensive pairs a bit more than that. Maybe just like three or four minutes more. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I, I guess I don't, I don't hate it. Because I just think he's such a workhorse. I know, uh, but I, I look. I see where you're coming from. I, I get. But I want him to be an, a workhorse yeah. in April and May, and maybe even June. I just think he's such a freak <laughs> right. that it almost doesn't matter. Okay, that's true. He does push tires Fair up enough. mountains and shit. Maybe, maybe it does. And you know what? I guess it's just hard to know because the Flyers haven't been on exactly. a long playoff run. We don't know if he would wear down in May. But you know what? At this point. We're in uncharted territory here, so let's let's use him as much as he's physically capable of, of being used, if as long as he can do it, as long as he's not injured or whatever. And if he runs out of gas in May, that means the Flyers got to May, yeah. and I will consider that to be a dramatic step forward from where they <laughs> oh, were. No. And then if we if we learn that, if we learn by the fly by Ivan Provorov clearly running out of gas in the Easter Conference Final, I'll accept that. I'll be like, you know what? That's important information that we've now gathered. So in two years, when we get back there, we know like, hey, maybe we should make sure he doesn't play 25 minutes in November. But let's get there. That and, would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? And I'd be into it. And thus far, my 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 concerns are unfounded. Provorov is scoring goals at the same pace as his 17-goal season and is on pace to crush his career highs and assists and points. Um, He's been outstanding. Yeah, yeah, he had a little lull there, and it was like, oh, same old Provy, but like for the most part... Fuck, man. He's I've, been really yeah. good. I've never been happier to feel so dumb about being worried about a player heading into the season. Because I, I was worried about him. Oh, certainly. It was, I mean, it was fair to be was, worried about him. Yeah. He was bad last year. Yeah. But to look at the organization, like the organization was, bad. was a dumpster fire last season. Big time. Like the GM got fired and his handpicked coach that he refused to fire was his own interim for a month. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I still can't believe they did that. Like, he, did, he knew he was getting fired. Like I swear to you, he sat Limblom and and we'll never get over the Limblom for Laterra on his last night. He did that to get fired. He was like, "Fuck it, fire me." Here's your reason. He, like, it was just unbelievable. But hey, we're past all that now. Uh, one thing I no, will no, say: go, going back to Pervy though. Yeah. Um, you know, I I put this in my mailbag last week. I did a mailbag, and one of the questions I answered was somebody being like, "Are, are people ever going to you know respect Ivan Provorov?" No. And I kind of use it as a jumping off point to go on a rant about how good I think Ivan Provorov has played this year, and about the fact that his underlying numbers actually are matching what his reputation had been for years. Except now there are people that have just decided he's bad. Yeah, and it's just there. There's a real irony, like irony there. But somebody tweeted at me after I posted that, and basically was like. Like, why do you even bother giving, you know, why do you even bother giving time to the argument that Ivan Provorov is bad? Why don't you just ignore it? And my response was, look, I don't believe that we, I don't believe the right, the right way to respond to bad arguments is to ignore that they're occurring. I think the right way, to, the right way to respond to bad arguments is to 
to make sure as many people as possible know that they're bad arguments. And that's what I want to do with Ivan Provorov because he's playing so well. And I want it to be clear to as many people that are willing to accept it that he is actually playing this well. And like in this town, in all the sports, unfair narratives have driven really good players away. Ugh. And I don't want that. No. I want him to be a Philadelphia Flyer and live up to his seventh overall potential as our number one franchise defenseman. That would be cool. Yeah, like, here's the thing. The main concern, the main complaint I was getting from people when I was going heavy on the Proverb defense last week was, well, yeah, he's playing good, but, you know, for this team to be a championship team, he's got to play better. And my thing is this. Right now, over the first, I think it was like 20 games at that time, he was on pace for 50-plus points. Yeah. He was getting 24 minutes a night, and he was driving play not to, like, Dougie Hamilton degrees, who's, like, the best play-driving defenseman in hockey probably right now, but he was solidly above, uh, above average in terms of expected goal impact and Corsi impact. And I was like, you know what that profile is? That profile over a full season is Alex Petrangelo. Who won the Stanley Cup last year? Uh, him. The team with Alex Petrangelo <laughs> as their number one defenseman. Uh, I just have a quick question. Mm -hmm. How do we think Robert Haig has looked? I don't want to talk about it. He's played 25-15 at even strength the last two games combined uh, and broken even from a uh, Corsi standpoint, 22, Corsi 4, 22, 23 against, so uh, negligible, it's, it's the same. Uh, been on the ice for two goals for, two against. Tremendous advantage for some reason in expected goals, scoring chances, high danger chances. Uh, he's been fine. He's been he's fine. Been fine. He's been fine. Here's but again, like he's played 25 minutes over two games. Right, and here's the that's thing that's annoying. He hasn't been visually horrible like he so has been in the past so people have decided yeah. that he's good and if you replaced him with an inanimate carbon rod the flyers probably would have had the same result in these games and they're going to use that as a reason not like if they keep winning games they're going to they're going to use it as an excuse to keep him in the lineup and it's going to make me completely insane because he is not a good hockey player yeah i like i don't uh I don't love him. I think in the role he's in, it's fine. I wish Bad he wasn't Ghost playing. better than yeah. good Robert Haig. I just trust him with more minutes. Like, if yeah. we put Ghost with Provorov, it would be fine. You yeah. know, if you put Haig with Provorov, well, I, don't think it, line, I, don't, I don't think it would be now. Not, like, <laughs> I would be less afraid of That's, Ghost getting 25 minutes a game than Robert Haig getting 25 minutes a game. But I think like Haig would actively make Provorov worse, yeah. and the, the Ghost and Provorov together would be okay enough to get by. But they're going to ride this I, thing I, out. I, right I think now. I think both would be a disaster. <laughs> right now. Like, right. tr truthfully, like I just, I just don't think I think Ghost can play with Provorov. I just don't think he's playing well enough now for me to have any sort of confidence in him getting that many minutes a night against top lines. I think they'd eat him alive right now. He can do it. He's done it before. It's just right now he. He can. I hope he can get back to that point. I'm going to get to a couple of things really quickly. Uh, we're, it's 8 o'clock. We're running out of time. But JVR, uh, no goals, one assist in his last nine games, four goals through 24 games. I've been cutting JVR a lot of slack all year, saying his offense is going to come around. Goal scores are streaky. I believe it will. But um, we, were we talked earlier about how they had a good month, and it doesn't even feel like they had a good month. Well, I just watched this team hole in uh, 190 minutes of hockey against uh, Ottawa, Calgary, and Washington. They gave up four goals, uh, but only come away with two of six points. Those are JVR points right there. The goal scorer needs to score the goals when the rest of the team can't. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's fair to. I know goals are aberrations, but no, I that, think that's it's what fair you're paid to, to do. I think it's fair to criticize the goal scorer when the team can't score and he's part of the reason. Yeah, I'm running out of rope for him. 
How do they sure. jumpstart him in the offense? I don't know, man, but it's probably not paying third, fourth line minutes, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that's but the, I don't know how you break up the top six in yeah. favor of him who's playing like garbage. Like, I don't know what you do to fix it. I'd love to see him on that Hayes-Farabee line. I just think that's his best fit right now. Yeah. That yeah. gives him the best chance of scoring. However, Farabee needs to be better. Well, it seems like, I think Farabee's been good the last couple games. The last, like, last night, I thought he was noticeably yeah. back to the jumpy head. And I thought he was good in the final two periods of Saturday's game. He had, okay. he had a bad first period, but he was good in the, in the final two periods of Saturday's game. He had that great forecheck on Riddick that set up what should have been the game-winning goal uh, for Hayes when he attacked the, the puck behind the net. Um, I just get the feeling that Vino Vino wants JVR to earn his way back up the lineup by scoring on the power play. And okay. I think I think that's what's going to happen. When he starts popping goals in on the power play, that's going to get him bumped up at 5-on-5. Five five. But I get the impression that basically this is a we're going to keep you with uh, with Raffle and Pitlick until you start putting in power play goals, and then once you do, you will get the promotion at 5-on-5. Five five. It's funny because yeah. we've talked in the past about how power play time is often a reward for everything else you do. Yes, for, the opposite. But here. for yeah. JVR, if he excels on the power play, we will promote you at 5-on-5. Five five. <laughs> it's weird, but I, that's the impression that's, I get. That's a, I mean, that's two weeks in a row. You uh, quoted the Mighty Mighty Boston's, Charlie. Um <laughs> that, that was unintentional. Yeah. <laughs> only one person. On, only one person on Twitter picked up on me saying it last week, and then this. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna close out with uh, Bill Peters, huh? Uh, my God. Uh, God, that was awful. Just, just, oh my God. I, I, he has to be gone, right? He's gotta He's, be. You can't. You can't. You, you can't. can't. How? cowardly not to make him available to the media Doable. let him get coached up by his agent come up with all the excuses in the world i don't even know like, what you say to at make this that point, better how do you deny it you That's can't the, deny I don't, I don't it there's can. no denial now and also yeah. i don't know how you justify it well you can't there's, there's, there's no there is no like, there's yeah that's the thing like there's nothing you can say at this point so maybe don't talk no, to the, I media. Mean, the only the only route you can plausibly take is the like i'm a different person it was 10 years ago route but like it's just so bad it's so bad. it's so bad yeah God, it's so bad. He's like, I by the time you're listening to this, he's been fired from his sure. people, right? I, I, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, like you said in the Slack chat, Merrick said that he was fired and he doesn't. Yeah, they're looking for a backdoor to shove him out I, of somehow. I, I would assume. Um, I guess we should probably plug the, uh, the non Festivus right. party. Yes, the the non Festivus. The Festivus non Festivus. Saturday, December 21st at Fieldhouse. This is going to be our absolute best one yet. It is going to be a blowout. Please come out. They're going to kill the Senators, so you don't have to worry about that. There's going to be it's free a revenge things. Games. Yeah, revenge game. Yeah, there's, there's going to be free stuff. Yeah, I know a lot of our parties, like, we've had a great turnout. We always appreciate the support, but a lot of the time it's like, hey, just come hang out with us at a bar. No, this time it really is like a party where there's going to be giveaways and all sorts of cool shit. So please come out Fieldhouse Saturday, December 21st for the Senators game. Uh, it's just going to be awesome. So do yeah. it. All right. That is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. My name is Bill Matz. For Charlie, for Kelly, have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about it?